Welcome to Divorce TV. We're back again and today or tonight if you're in the UK we have starting we've got three guests as usual. We've got uh, our um, healing we're going to end with is with Susan Calmelo again who's going to be doing some of that EFT tapping that we all love so much. I'm getting quite good at it now. We've got Ruth Driscoll who's a life liberator as our expert interview. Now Ruth works with people who are in controlling and coercive relationships and she's uh, obviously one of the key experts uh, on the Divorcing a Difficult Spouse workshop which we're running um, next week on Thursday evening. And we've got a shared story with Indra Butkovishute who is a a wealth coach and she's got a great story to share with us which I think some of you will find very empowering. So let's first of all we're gonna just catch up with the news. So begin with we have got to begin with here we have from the cut. Now the cut is talking about Oh, they're still at it. Brad and Angelina's divorce has become incredibly complex, it says, as if we hadn't noticed. More than four years after Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie announced their divorce, confusion abounds around the terms of their separation. A brief recap. Since 2016, Jolie has fought for sole custody of the couple's six children. While neither she nor Pitt has publicly shared details of the incident that catalyzed their split, it appears to have been an argument on board their private jet in which Jolly's camp said Pitt became verbally and physically abusive. In May, a drawn-out custody battle appeared to reach its conclusion when a judge awarded Pitt tentative joint custody of the couple's minor, minor children, but Jolly contested the decision, reportedly arguing the judge failed to adequately consider a portion of California Code addressing custody and domestic violence. Presumably, the article says, the section that says awarding custody to a person who has perpetrated domestic violence is detrimental to the best interest of the child. She appealed, alleging that the judge denied her a fair trial, improperly excluding her evidence relevant to the children's health, safety and welfare evidence critical to making her case. Now the custody battle continues both over the children and the couple's shared chateau. So there's some money getting involved in here as well. It's not just fighting over the children. When Jolly filed for divorce from Pitt in September 2016, effectively ending their 12 year relationship and two years of marriage, she requested sole custody over the kids, Maddox, now 19, Pax, now 17, Zahara, now 16, Shiloh, now 14, and twins, Knox and Vivian, now 12. Within days, headlines about the divorce, a true tabloid bombshell report this uh, article says, shifted focus to reports of both the FBI and the Los Angeles Department of Child and Family Services were investigating Pitt for child abuse over an alleged incident said to have taken place on the family's private jet. In November, both the DCFS and the FBI said their investigations failed to find evidence that Pitt had been abusive on the plane or in general. In December, Pitt filed a motion to seal all custody-related custody documents in the case, contending that airing the details in public caused the children needless pain. 
good point. A judge denied his request. But in January 2017, the couple reportedly agreed to settle the whole matter privately going forwards. Hurrah! And for a while, that was it. In May, Pitt spoke to GQ about quitting drinking. He apparently went to rehab post-divorce and getting a handle on his emotions in order to do better by the kids, while Jolie remained tight-lipped about the entire situation. In spring of 2019, they bifurcated their marriage, which in, a, in the States you can bifurcate your marriage, basically means you become legally sing single, but you still haven't sorted out the finances or the children, so you're not, not really divorced, are you? By May 2020, they had allegedly achieved cordial terms, looking good. But then Jolly requested that the judge in their custody case be removed. Her request was denied, but Jolly appealed. The judge reportedly declined to let the children testify and awarded Pitt tentative joint custody. Now, think about it. Why would why would a judge not want children, especially of that age, to testify? They've probably got some good reason. Um, I don't know about you, but the thought of having to drag your children into court, especially in such a, a public divorce, is probably not a great idea if, it can, if there's a better way around it. So this past March... Jolly reported, reportedly filed documents saying she had proof and authority in support of her child abuse allegations against Pitt and asked that the minors be allowed to testify. Maddox, it then emerged, had already spoken in court and according to sources, it wasn't very flattering toward Brad. In any case, the judge Udekirk again denied Jolly's request. According to the documents she filed in late May, he refused to hear the minor teenagers' input as to their experiences, needs or wishes as to their custody fate, even though a section of California code reportedly allows children 14 and over to give testimony if they choose to. Following Udekert's ruling, Pitt was cleared to spend significantly more time with the kids, the source told People, adding that the custody trial involved witnesses, experts, people who had been with the kids. The children's voices were heard, apparently, and they just didn't need to testify themselves. Meanwhile, a source allegedly close to Jolly said that joint custody is not the issue that Angelina objects to. There were other issues of concern, but the court proceedings are closed and sealed. How confusing. Things looked settled until an appeals court removed Udekirk. Here's the judge. In July, the Second District Court of Appeals delivered its verdict on Udekirk siding with Jolly on the question of his impartiality. Udekert's removal threatened to take Pitt and Jolly's custody battle back to square one, and naturally Pitt did not let the decision stand unchallenged. Earlier this month, his cab escalated the matter to the California Supreme Court, arguing that the decision generated widespread confusion, uncertainty and instability. I would have thought that pretty much sums up the entire thing, particularly from the children's point of view. Meanwhile, conflict is erupting over Chateau Miravelle. Whilst all this is going on, as the custody plot thickens, another dispute is gathering steam. In court documents filed September the 21st, obtained by Hollywood Life, Pitt accused Jolly of attempting to go behind his back in the sale of their $164 million French vineyard, Chateau Miravelle. Jolly has been looking to get out of the celebrity wine game for a few months now and in July petitioned a judge to waive the order that keeps her and Pitt from transferring assets during their divorce. 
well, if you didn't have to bother about that, why would anyone get, in, get divorced if you could just carry on willy-nilly? So though Pitt and Jolly each own a 50% stake in the company that owns Miravel, Jolly allegedly tried to broker a deal to sell the property without involving Pitt, giving him neither the option to buy her out nor refuse the sale. In a lawsuit filed in Luxembourg, Pitt's lawyers are now accusing Jolly of systematic obstruction regarding the chateau, with a source describing Jolly to Hollywood life as consistently vindictive and always trying to circumvent the rules. I sincerely hope that most of you listening are not dealing with that kind of level of nastiness, but unfortunately I know that some of you are. Let's move on to another area that can be very complicated. This is reported in family law and it's the importance of obtaining a recognised Jewish get when Jewish couples divorce and what more is being done to protect what are known as chained wives. So a Jewish client uh, who needs, needs to obtain both a civil and religious divorce, which is known as a get. And the draft statutory guidance issued under the Domestic Abuse Act 19, uh, 2021 and published by the UK government on 6th of August 2021 now says that withholding a get can be a form of domestic abuse if it is deemed controlling or coercive behaviour. This is a big thing. A Jewish divorce or get obtained in England will not be recognised by the English courts, so a civil divorce is also needed. So a little bit more about how complicated this gets. The process of obtaining a get requires a great degree of formality and unlike the Muslim talaq, it cannot be obtained orally. A document like the get is written on the instructions of the husband and handed by the husband or his agent to his wife in front of a Beth Din, which is a Jewish court. A get might occur transnationally where the document is written in one country by the husband and the document is then delivered to the wife who is residing in a different country. In the case of Berkowitz versus Grimberg, the document was written in London and delivered to the wife in Israel. Consequently, the divorce was not recognised by the English courts. This was despite the fact that the divorce was recognised in the country which it was obtained, i.e. Israel. It can be seen, therefore, the article says, that this can be a complicated yet vitally important area of family law. Where a Jewish divorce has been obtained in England but a civil divorce has not, or a divorce has been obtained overseas but is not capable of being recognised in England, then the parties will need to obtain a civil divorce in England. Until a legal divorce is obtained, which is recognised in England, the parties will still be deemed as legally married and consequently neither party is free to remarry under English law. Their entitlements to financial remedies after a foreign decree pursuant to Part 3 of the Matrimonial and Family Proceedings Act 1984 would also be impaired. In other words, they can't sort the finances out either. Where a Jewish divorce has not been obtained, again, neither party is free to remarry in the Jewish faith. This is even if the parties have obtained a civil divorce in the UK. Additionally, where a Jewish woman does not obtain a Jewish divorce and she then goes on to have a child from another Jewish man, that child would be deemed to be illegitimate and he or she would be known as a mamza, which would preclude him or her and his or her descendants from marrying in Jewish law. So it's pretty serious stuff. She would also be deemed to be committing adultery in Jewish law if she commenced a sexual relationship with another man, even if she obtained a civil divorce and cannot marry a man if her relationship with that man commenced before obtaining her Jewish divorce. 
Her standing in the Jewish community generally would also be impacted. Therefore, it will be seen, says that the ramifications, in particular for a Jewish woman and her children, can be huge and life-changing. According to Jewish scripture, a get can only be completed with both parties' consent. So difficulties may arise, therefore, when either party refuses to respond to the Beth Din's call, that's the Jewish court's call, to cooperate in the get process. Clearly, cooperating is going to be your best option here. A wife who finds herself in a position where the husband is refusing to cooperate is known as an aguna, meaning chained. A husband who finds himself in the same position is known as an agun, also meaning chained. It is for this reason that the Divorce Religious Marriages Act 20, sorry, 2002 was enacted, in essence, where a husband or wife is refusing either to give instructions for the writing of the get or refusing to accept the get, the provision enables a party to apply for an order to delay the making of the decree absolute obtained in the civil proceedings until the other party has cooperated. Additionally, a court may also assist the parties to resolve any issues in respect of any children and financial arrangements by endorsing an agreement between the parties obtained through religious arbitration. I did interview um, a rabbi recently who does uh, religious mediation and arbitration and uh, I'm hoping to bring you uh, some of that interview quite soon. How the Domestic Abuse Act 2021 can help. Right. There are moves afoot under the Domestic Abuse Act 2021 for coercion through spiritual abuse and religious marriage and divorce to include the failure to provide a get. If the husband's actions are found to be controlling or coercive behaviour and he is found guilty of such behaviour, he could be imprisoned. This therefore presents a promising further tool, the article says, for women who are unable to obtain a get. It is also of note that there remains a concern amongst the Orthodox rabbinical community and Jewish courts, Beth Din, as to whether a get which is provided without full consent of the husband constitutes a valid Jewish divorce. The Jewish community are therefore encouraging the parties to also engage in dialogue with the Beth Din in situations where a get is being refused and where recourse under the Domestic Abuse Act 2021 is being considered. So the Domestic Abuse Act 2021 Act also amends the controlling or coercive behaviour offence to remove the living together requirement. It therefore now applies to partners and ex-partners or family members regardless of whether they live together. This significant amendment commences in spring 2022. And finally, on a perhaps a, a serious note. Woman throws her own divorce party, the mirror says, after being finally free of 70, 17 years of marriage. Mother of two, Sonia Gupta, threw a colourful party filled with a bouncy castle, rainbow and unicorns to celebrate being fine, finally divorced and free of her 17-year marriage and the end of a lengthy divorce process which spanned around three years. She wore a colourful dress with a finally divorced sash and asked her guests to come in their loudest and most vibrant outfits. I normally don't like these divorce stories, uh, party stories, but I actually really like this one. The accounts manager wanted the celebration to embrace her personality, which she describes as colourful and loud, and the party was playfully dubbed It's a Sonia Thing. Sonia describes how she felt her marriage dulled her bubbly personality and that she knew from early on that they were not a good match. 
She said, I chose the theme to be colourful, bright and full of unicorns as I'm a very bright and colourful person. To me, the theme was magic because after the last 10 years, I think I deserve that little bit of magic. Gupta has been married in 2000, had been married in 2003 as part of an arranged marriage in India, but she quickly realised that she did not feel happy. Speaking about the relationship, Sonia said, we got married in India, then moved over to the UK. I got lost in the whole marriage and cultural aspects of it, and I ended up being really unhappy for years. I just wanted the old me back. I was quite a lively and outgoing person before my marriage, and when I got married, it just all went to pop. When I, I'm not sure if that's what she really meant. When I told my family that I wanted out, there was uproar and no support from me or my mental health. But I had my friends and my two pillars of strength, my sons, Michal and Shay, there to support my journey. I've also had help after my divorce from the Asian Single Parent Network. I've heard great things about that, that network. The divorce party was to show my friends and family, especially my parents, who eventually supported my decision that I've come out on the other side. I wanted to thank them all for their endless support over the past 10 years. The divorce process began in 2018 but was dragged out over three taxing years after many laborious discussions, five appearances in court, three trials and many disagreements. The process was finalised and her marriage was officially over. No wonder she wanted to have a party. The end of her marriage signifies a new beginning and she has gained a new lease of life. People seem to think there's no life after divorce that your life is over, she said, but actually my life is just starting now. I've learned so much and become a stronger person. I wanted the old me back to show everyone that life can still be fun. I feel so liberated and free, like I've managed to get out of prison. I feel on top of the world. I'm truly living my best life. That's the end of the news and we will now go forward to our experts. And welcoming here to the lovely Ruth, who uh, you're, you're going to be with us on Thursday evening, aren't you, in our um, workshop, Divorcing a Difficult Spouse. You're, you're yes. part of your speciality, really, isn't it? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> and uh, what I wanted to ask you today in particular um, is talking about the way... It takes two to be in an abusive and coercive controlling relationship and it's a difficult thing to talk about because for you know you know from your own experience that if you're in that situation um a you, quite often you don't even realize it and it does seem you feel so completely trapped but i know that when you're working with people you find you can see you can help them realize there's things they can do to help themselves and things that they can stop doing to self-sabotage so perhaps you could tell us a little bit about that that would be really handy thanks Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it seems a, a strange thing to sort of, um, a strange way to think about it, because when you are in an, a relationship which is coercive, abusive, bullying, you, it's very easy for you to feel like this is happening to you and there's not much that you can do about that. So one of the first important principles to understand is that by saying, I take responsibility for being in this position, that, by, I, you know, I hasten to add, does not mean taking the blame in any way, but by taking, saying I take responsibility, you actually take yourself out from that place where 
you are in what we would call the victim space. And if you're out of the victim space, then you are in the power place. So if you think about the way um, uh, Stephen Covey described taking responsibility, it was about being becoming response-able. So if you are response-able, it means that you're putting yourself in the position where you can do something about it. And having the awareness of that is the first crucial step. So, you know, think to yourself, and, and the reason that um, that was very clear to me was when I um, managed to remove myself from my abusive relationship. And for the, probably the first time, I started really telling friends um, what had been going on, because you do keep very silent. You're kind of ashamed a lot of the time. So I actually did speak about what was going on. And I remember these words that a friend said to me. She said, Ruth, how could you let that happen to you? Now, if you think about the way she phrased that, it wasn't how could this happen to you? It was how could you let that happen to you? And I thought, she's right. That couldn't have happened to me if I had known better how to put my personal boundaries in place around this, um, being able to sort of stand up for myself in a much stronger and more effective way. So in many ways, it's, it's a hard sort of lesson to take on board, but it's understanding that somehow you are complicit in this, even though you've done this completely unconsciously. Can you give me so, some examples of, of how easy it is to self-sabotage and in the sense of, of, of continuing that complicity just through habit, yes. I suppose, as much as anything else? Well, you do get into this interactive pattern of behaviour with your partner. And so, therefore, things that, you know, if they'd happened instantly, you'd think, hang on, that's, that's not right. But it sort of, it, it happens over a period of time it's a little bit like that that story of you know if you put the frog into a pan of boiling water he's going to hop straight out but if you put him into a, a pan of cold water and gradually warm it up he'll stay there and and so it's a it, you know it's kind of like that that sort of um way in which this comes upon you um and one of the ways in which um, you can you can so easily sabotage yourself is largely through your own personal qualities. Uh, it's something that I call two syndrome. It's if you're you know you're you're a kind person, but if you're too kind, then that person gets away with things that they should not get away with. Because what you are trying to do is make everything right. You're, you're trying to sort of smooth the surface. What you want so badly is a harmonious, a happy, um, a peaceful relationship, a supportive relationship with that person. So, you know, you're doing everything that you can on your side to try to make it be that way. And it takes a long while before you realize, hang on a minute, you know, I'm the only one who's actually putting in this effort here. And the other danger is that um, 
one of the other traits that uh, a manipulative and, and controlling person can have is that they know how to be very beguiling, very seductive. They'll know how to say all the right things that, that make you feel, oh, it's all all right again. Um, you know, uh, my lovely relationship is back again. And, and so by doing that, it makes it harder and harder for you to see that what's happening is that they're just pulling you in. And when they've got the control back, that's when the abusive behavior restarts. So you've got to be really conscious of what it is that you are doing. Um, this is a matter very much about your own personal boundaries, that you're allowing somebody to, if you like, almost um, extract the, the, the lovely qualities that you have, that you should, you know, you should be proud of and you should be valued and cherished for, um, rather than valuing you, they, they extract what they need from you. And that, and that's a very debilitating thing to experience over time because I think it, it changes your view of kind of humanity and and if 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 your goodness is abused because that's basically what's happening how how is it does it take a long time for people even once they've realized what's going on once they've put in those boundaries um and have managed to stop that relationship carrying on in that way quite often by obviously leaving or in the, in divorcing it often is, is the best way for them to get out of it what how long does it take and how much does it take for them to then get back into life and be the person they sh should have been all the way through before they got squashed well the crucial thing is knowing that um you know this is a, a part a very essential part of the work that i do with people it's that you don't lose yourself in this because when you come out from um, an abusive relationship, you, you, you're in that place where you actually don't recognize who you are anymore. I can remember that feeling really well. Um, and you're sort of, you know, you're trying to sort of carry on. Um, and it was only really looking back on it that I realized you know, for, for quite a while after I'd come out of my relationship, I probably was suffering an emotional breakdown, but I didn't kind of realize it until I look back on what I went through. Um, so with, with the work that I do with people, this is about really getting back in touch with who you are, because the most important thing is that you remain as you, but you come out a wiser version of you. You now come out still with all those qualities, but with a, a recognition of those people who do not value the person that you are. Because, you know, if, if um, you come out of your abusive relationship, you get through your divorce, but you're flattened as a person, then you, that's still a control over your life. You're still not able to, to live your life to the full. And that's a really important thing. You know, I, I have um, three principles underpinning the work that I do. The first is, what was it about him that made him so randomly and pointlessly cruel? What was it about me that made me vulnerable and to accepting those negative messages about myself? 
And how could I be certain this could never happen to me again? So you've got to have that confidence of knowing that you can recognize these patterns. You know how to stop somebody from running that pattern. You know how to remove yourself, that you've got the strength of character to remove yourself when somebody is treating you badly. And, and therefore you are able to move forward in the confident way that means you can live your life to the full. Because otherwise you're still, you're still in the grip of that control. So not only able to uh, leave behind that controlling, coercive uh, relationship, but you're extremely unlikely to ever end up in another one because you know you've got the wisdom now. You can spot them. You're, you're, yes. you're no longer going to be the victim of that, or not for very long anyway, because you know how to get, you know how to yeah. how to not and, and, react. I suppose it is really, isn't it? It's not how to. And that's about yeah. taking responsibility. Yeah. You know yeah. that the saying, "I see what I did here." that meant that this could happen. And so well, as I move forward, I can be certain that that's not going to happen to me again. That's brilliant. Thank you very much for sharing that, Ruth. And uh, see you on Thursday night at the workshop. See you then. Great stuff. Um, yeah, very. It's, it's such a such a traumatic thing to be in any kind of an abusive relationship. And uh, but to come out stronger and wiser um, and able to avoid that situation ever again must be a very wonderful thing. Um, quick QR masterclass, and then we'll be having a shared story. So I'm going to. Oh, actually, we're going to have. We're going to have. Um, we're going to go straight into our shared story now with Indra, and get ready to. Think about money. Oh, we haven't got Indra at the moment, so we're going to come back a bit later for Indra. <laughs> so we're going to do we're going to do the children's rights. There we go. I should have checked to see if she was back in the room. So, love. I just love this. Um, this is part of a section in the Divorce Masterclass, which is in the best way to divorce dot online free app that you can get. The, the Masterclass isn't free, but there are some elements of it that you can check out. And this is number six. This is the wonderful Robert Emery PhD who wrote uh, that he wrote this as Professor of Psychology at the University of Virginia. And he has these these 10, I sort of see them as kind of commandments, but they are the rights of the child. Uh, whose parents are divorcing. And number six is the right to know well in advance about important changes that will affect your life. For example, when one of your parents is going to move or get remarried. So it's, <laughs> you'd think it was obvious, wouldn't you, that you would let your kids know if something major like that was happening. But I, I, you know, one of the cases, most extreme cases I came across was the, the children knew that their father was remarried uh, when they received a fax with a photo of him at the wedding. I'm not kidding. 
and they hadn't met their new stepmother yet and he was announcing it as a wonderful joyful thing um, which in in many ways it was for him but it was a bit of a shock uh, for the children of course very upsetting for his for their mother uh, his ex-wife because she felt terrible for them that this is how they found out so it's uh, it's it's surprising, often surprising, but nonetheless um, not unusual for parents to not really think about the needs of the children, understanding, giving them some kind of preparation for some major changes. They tend to keep everything to the last minute and then just announce it. Uh, and that's not great. So that's number six for of the, the right to know well in advance about important changes that will affect your life. For example, when one of your, one of your parents is going to move or get remarried. So put that one on the fridge. Now we haven't, I can see that uh, unfortunately uh, Indra was going to tell us a great story, seems to have completely disappeared so she must have had some kind of an emergency and I'm wondering if, um, if it's a shame if Ruth would reappear, I'll be able to ask her. Ruth, can you hear me? Are you up for doing a shared story? I'm going to, I'm going to, if it's okay with you, I'm just going to bring you in now. And because I, I know you have some great shared stories and I don't want to miss that out. So we're going to come into here and there you go. So Hello, you've, sorry, you've, I was, I've been switching my lights and everything <laughs> off. So <laughs> sorry, <laughs> just completely uh, do that. Yeah, oh, thank you for stepping in. We, I don't know what's happened to her. Just she's obviously had some kind of major event has occurred at the last minute that she wasn't able to yeah. to join us. It uh, come on in, but we'll 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 grab her maybe next week. We'll we'll see if we can get her to come back then. So yes, yeah, shared stories. So I know you were sending us a little bit about your own experience. Actually, what would be really good is to hear a little bit more about your own experience in the light of. Of, of your own experience of self-sabotage I think that that would be a good one if you're if you're happy to to talk about that yes um or, or also the um I was thinking of um, a lady that I'm working with at the moment um who um she um very specifically said to me um you know we were talking about um her main issue was how do I extract myself emotionally from him um and you know she said to me i've i've made vows and you know i i i feel awful that i'm not fulfilling on my vows and of course you know that is a self-sabotage issue in the sense that um she's she has um conditioning around the the fact that she made these vows which means that she's not protecting herself so any any way in which you're um you're sabotaging yourself means that you are not protecting yourself and so you know working with her the thing is getting her to sort of appreciate that yes you did make vows and you did your best to keep to your side of the bargain that you made. The only reason that you're going through divorce is because your husband did not keep his side of the bargain. And therefore this contract, you know, if only one of you is fulfilling on the, on this side, this side of the contract, then, you know, how valid and how relevant and how, um, 
you know, what's the impact of this contract now? If he can pick and choose when he wants to stick with it, and you're trying all the time to to be the one to make this marriage work, the thing is that then you find yourself in a toxic situation. Now, you know, I use that word very particularly because if you're in a toxic environment, you have to move yourself out from it. If it was a toxic gas, you couldn't stick in the in the same room with it. So it's this, you have to kind of think of it that way. It's not you that has created the problem. It's not you that has um, created the situation where this um, the, this marriage needs to end. And the other issue that she has been dealing with um, is his love bombing. Now, you know, one of the, I deal a lot with emotions and one of the toughest ones of all to be able to understand and, um, and, and you know, and not allow it to affect you badly is love. You know, love, um, that person is saying all of the right things to be able to, to get you right back where, where they were. And this, for this lady, this is something that had been going on for her for years and years. And of course, what she hadn't twigged was this point at which, yes, he does that every time. He sounds very genuine. And, you know, it probably is very genuine. But the problem is that when somebody um, has that, that personality that is manipulative, controlling, even abusive and bullying, reality kind of doesn't have the same meaning for them as it does for us. One of the examples that I do with that is, you know, when you're with somebody who can behave in that way, it's like, I, I don't know whether you can see that this, I pick up an object and say, look, you know, do you not understand this is reality? This is what reality looks like. This is, you understand that, don't you? You know that. You can see that, can't you? And then, you know, five minutes later, they say, what, what are you talking about? No, this is the shape of reality. The re this is what reality looks like. Sorry, I can't get in front of the camera. <laughs> That's a but, really good example. They, they just it does your head in doesn't it yeah 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 and yeah. so the love bombing yeah you know they they mean it very genuinely and you know her, her husband he's a brilliant wordsmith you know he's yeah. uh, ex rock star and things you know and yeah. uh, you know lyric writer so he's got all that that ability that poetry inside him to be able to use these words in that very beguiling seductive way which is what we were talking about earlier and so this is where you know you've got to have you've got to recognize what they're doing because you have to think to yourself does this feel like i'm loved mm. because if, if it doesn't if you're if you're having to question it if you're having these that little kick of emotion that little kick of doubt inside you then no it's not love it's not the love that you deserve you don't want a love that's temporary when it suits that person yeah. and when it doesn't they treat you any which way they want so overcoming that um that unhealthy emotion of, of a sense of obligation a sense of conscience around things it's it it sort of goes against what what we feel and the way that we've been brought up but when you're dealing with somebody who is manipulative and controlling there's a really crucial thing you should write this down 
and and keep it somewhere where you can you can see it and it is normal rules do not apply mm. and you know that that kind of makes sense but it's still very hard to actually implement and put yeah. in place yeah. which is why you know when i'm working with people i'm constantly reminding them you've got to work strategically here not from your emotion not even from what your your sort of conscience or your sense of duty or all of your conditioning are telling you this, so all, this, and all of those what would normally be in normal world good qualities actually yes. are you self-sabotaging because they keep exactly. you trapped in a situation which is exactly. ultimately um um at, at, at best uh, disempowering and at worst possibly even dangerous yes yeah yes yeah. that's exactly right and that's why you have to serve yourself first um i can remember what a, a very well-known um world famous um um motivational guru once saying you know you should love unconditionally and I think not when you're dealing with someone like that you know here the person you have to love unconditionally is yourself not yeah. not that your partner because um it yeah won't work. yeah and Normal I think but if you do love yourself part. unconditionally strangely it does seem to flow out to everybody else That's, you can't exactly lose. <laughs> where it's deserved to be yes. and, and it doesn't stop you from being compassionate doesn't yeah. stop you from being respectful those qualities are still important but it just means you protect yourself and um, this is what we're working on with this lady to help her overcome these unhealthy emotions Brilliant. that sabotage you. Brilliant. Right, thank you so much for stepping in with but I think I can spy Indra and I'm hoping she can hear me. And we're gonna give her we're gonna give her one bash at it, see if we can get in Indra's shared story as well, because we can do what we like on this show. And uh, that but it was great to hear that. Thank you so much. And uh, speak to you again soon or see you on Thursday. Yes. So I'm just gonna see if if I can get Indra in now. Because uh, she's got a great story that I really want her to share with us. Yay, you're there. We we couldn't see you before. We were running a bit late and uh, we, we assumed you had to dash off for something. But Ruth stepped in. But I love that story you told me earlier and I really want you to share it with everybody. So just, just start off by um, reminding everyone that you are a... Um, a wealth coach, a money coach, you're an you know, expert in financial area, you know, you come from a financial background. And so before you share the story about this particular lady, just remind those who, who of us, and especially those who haven't met you before, what you actually do. Oh, I can't hear you there. So we've lost you a bit on the sound. You able to oh, come? That's it. You're up. Now. You're back now. You're back now. Great. Sorry, I mixed up the times. That's why That's I did okay. dash off and then the computer died. But I'm here now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> for those of you who don't know me, I am a wealth coach. Now you might ask, what does that actually mean? Um, I come from a banking background. I come from an investment background. And I worked for many years for one of the top investment banks, helping wealthy individuals decide how to invest their money uh, and since I've decided to share that knowledge and to really help women who want to learn a little bit more and not just women but everyone who want to learn more and want to really take a step back and focus on the educational side uh, of investing so as a wealth coach my job is to really 
as it says, coach you and help you understand the basics around finance, understand the basics around investing so that you can gain that confidence and, and feel comfortable with making decisions when it comes to money and with learning how to really get your money to work for you rather than just sit there or rather than, you know, being um, a nuisance. Uh, so that that's what I do. That's what I love doing. That's what my really my mission is. And if you've got, especially after divorce, even if you don't have a, especially if you don't have very much money, it's really important, isn't it, to take control of that. So can you share that story um, that you shared with me a bit earlier, which I, I think would be very inspiring to, to many women in particular. And it's, as you say, men too. Absolutely. Um, I've had the pleasure of working with this wonderful lady for the past three months now. She's 52 and she's five years past her divorce. And when we started working, you know, she she really didn't have a lot of confidence with money. And to be honest, even after her divorce, she effectively had to start over to some respect uh, again. She didn't get a big settlement out of it at all. But as she's been working for a number of years, she's been at least saving some money away. And when her divorce ended, I think that kind of was another push for her to really think about her financial future much more seriously because she was suddenly faced with making all of these decisions alone. And so what we did with her was really look at what it is that she has now. And as I say, you know, it wasn't a lot of money. She had in savings about 80,000 um, Australian dollars. So my job was really to help her understand, you know, where are you now? How does the future look like in real life? What future do you want to have and how realistic that is? Can we bridge the gap? And in order to bridge the gap, what do we need to do? What do we need this money to make? How do we need to employ it? So after working through a number of different scenarios, looking at her uh, savings, looking at kind of what would happen if she did nothing, what would happen if she did invest and everything in between. We then started working on her knowledge gaps and her confidence. So going back to the very basic questions, you know, how do you start investing? What does that mean? You, know, How do you understand risk? How do you understand all these big words and jargons that are thrown around all the time and really just just stripping it all down and looking at the very kind of basic very vanilla things that can help her get into a better position for when she does end up retiring because that's her biggest fear what you know what's going to happen if i don't have enough for my retirement you know what's going to happen if i'm not able to to continue the lifestyle that I have. And, you know, it's not an extravagant lifestyle by any means. And I have to say, you know, she's been really fantastic in terms of doing her homework, in terms of really throwing herself in, asking the questions and just, you know, taking in everything that I'm giving her. And I'm so, so proud to see where the work has led three months later and i'm so so proud to say that we are we had our session last week 
and her homework after the session was to finally decide on her first investment and we're going to do it live together on our next session and i think this will unleash a whole other world for her and a whole other kind of step for her because i think sometimes that's the hardest step to take and once she does this i think the future is as bright as it can be that's fabulous and then and she's in control of it she's not just handing it over to someone in a suit and leaving it well, not that there's anything wrong with that obviously but for if you haven't got that much you need to take control and do it yourself don't you really to to really get the good value i'm so great for her confidence as well absolutely i think this was the biggest win mm -hmm. is the confidence that she feels in making her decisions and as you say whether she decides to do it herself whether she decides to go uh with someone else the biggest the biggest win for her is really the confidence that she has in making the decision and if she does use anyone else to run her investments she'll be very much in control of that process she'll know she won't be just giving it over and then not having a clue what's going on which is a very empowering position that's brilliant exactly Thank you so much, Indra. And sorry, sorry about the technical hitches. I'm glad we managed to get you after all. So, and you're going Thank to be you. uh, you're with us on Thursday as well, aren't you, on the workshop? Yes, Excellent. absolutely. I shall see you then. Bye-bye. See you. Bye. So we're, get, we're moving swiftly on to our finale, which is our healing with uh, Susan. I just uh, briefly point out in the best way to divorce dot online takes you straight to the free downloadable app and inside there is divorce workshops tile and inside that is the workshop which is divorcing a difficult spouse which is coming up um next week and then there's a more of a standard divorce financial workshop so if you're not specifically difficult spouse um that is happening in november and you can get your tickets uh, there so now Susan is going to give us uh, some more empowerment and things that we can take responsibility for and help ourselves with, with some EFT. And welcome, Susan. Thanks for coming Hi. to join us again. You're, yeah, you're, you should have the record for the greatest <laughs> number of appearances. It's brilliant that you're there. Thank you so much. And uh, and we get to see your lovely Arga in a minute when we go full screen. Before we do that, <laughs> my favourite part, before we do that, you're going to uh, tell us a little bit about what, we, what we've got in store for the next uh, 10 minutes. Yes, we're going to do some EFT, some emotional freedom technique tapping and we're going to finish off with a very empowering round of tapping because we're, we're shifting negative energies that we may have felt during the week and the point of the exercise is to realize that we can we can turn this energy around and EFTs like psychological acupuncture tapping in energy points of the body and throughout the the, the, the few minutes that I'm doing this I may be asking, you know, instant answers like what numbers this and where do you feel it? But if you're new, I'm going to, I was going to do the tapping points at the beginning or shall I just 
flick through the tapping points now. Oh, show us them now. But remember that you're also being listened to on iTunes, on Forest Row, Wild Heart Radio and other places. So make sure you talk talk to people who can't see you as well. Okay, just give me a moment then. We're going to be tapping through energy points on the the, the face. And we use our fingertips and we gently tap. I'll just nip through the points, the top of the head. And then we move gently and carefully to the eye socket. And there's three points in that area. There's the first one's in the corner of the eye socket. Next one is at the side of the eye socket. The next point is on the base of the eye socket. The point underneath the nose, a point in the chin under the bottom lip, a point in the collarbone. And the final point we'll be using today is the point under the arm. And they're energy channels of the body. As I say, psychological acupuncture, moving from negative energy, not wanting to do, feeling angry about, uh, lacking power, self-doubt, self-sabotage, all of that, and we move to a positive outcome. Brilliant. So shall I let you take it away then? Okay. So if I can ask you to just start tapping, just start tapping on the karate point of your hand. And we're going to be starting with a positive phrase. Actually, we start with a negative phrase, qualify it with a positive phrase. So if you keep tapping that that point, I'd like you to repeat after me. You'll know, I might go like that sometimes, and that means you know you to repeat, but I'm gonna say a phrase, you repeat it. So we start with this point and repeat please after me. Even though things have been a struggle, this week. I'm feeling reasonably okay now. Even though some things have been a bit of a struggle this week, I'm feeling reasonably okay now. And then we're moving up to the top of the head and repeat. It's been a bit of a struggle this week corner of the eye, up and down, side of the eye, struggling to get things done, underneath the eye, struggling to feel okay, underneath the nose, it's been a tricky time, sometimes feeling stressed, now at the collarbone point, sometimes feeling really okay. And then the under the arm point, please repeat, a whole mixed bag of feelings. Back up to the top of the head, I've felt angry, I've felt sad, I've certainly felt stressed. I felt low, felt anxious, felt ill at ease, 
feeling ill at ease does not feel good. Feeling ill at ease. Now I want you to repeat with the single word stressed and give it an intensity out of 10 inside your head. And I want you to, I might ask you where you're feeling it. And I want you to just repeat, but consider the number it might be. I felt stressed. I felt stressed and it was a number. What number did the anxiety go up to? I felt stressed and it was a number. I felt stressed. I don't like feeling stressed. Where do you feel that in your body right now when you recognize that you were feeling stressed? Repeat the phrase, I felt stressed. What number could it have been? Next point, doesn't matter where you are, I'm under the bottom lip. Feeling stressed and it was a number, what number was it? Where did you feel it in your body? because energy is felt in the body. And when you're releasing energy, you may yawn, you may have a tummy rumble, or you can burp, various things. The energy is being released and you can feel it. Now the point under the arm. But I can choose to feel better right now. Back up to the top of the head and repeat, please. Choosing to feel brighter right now. It's in my power. Choosing ease. I feel brighter. I feel brighter, more at ease in my head. Feeling more at ease in my body. Enjoying feeling more at ease in my body. Enjoying it very much. Enjoying feeling emotionally stronger. That feels so much better. And quickly again, just feeling empowered. Top of the head, I feel empowered. I feel strengthened. I much prefer to feel like this. Feeling in control. Feeling at ease. Feeling at peace. Feeling stronger. Feeling stronger. Now, I'd like you to close your eyes for a moment. And I'd like you to feel with every sense that you can use, feel this feeling of ease in your whole body. Breathe it in. This empowerment and mood shift. Breathe it in and enjoy it. Enjoy
enjoy feeling more at ease. Enjoy feeling at peace. Breathe this in. You're allowed to feel like this. You're allowed to feel better. Very gently, open your eyes. Now, I use EFT and matrix re-imprinting as my tools to help my clients. I help my clients with their emotional upsets and chronic pain and reproductive health. And when your mind is more receptive, physical healing can begin to heal. The headspace, the mindset needs to be calm. It holds way too much power and it needs kept in hand. And EFT literally releases negative energies and will instill positive energy. So I wish you well and give me a call to find out more. There's so much that can be done. If your headspace is in a good space, all this rocky divorce journey can be much more in flow. Thank you, Susan Cowmiller. Thank you, Susan. And yeah, that QR code you saw, that will take you to Susan or you can access Susan as well through the Best Way to Divorce app, which you can download for free at bestwaytodivorce.online. We'll take you straight there. Um, and you other, other goodies in there too. So thank you so much for being with us tonight. And we've run a little bit over compared to usual, but we've packed loads in. Um, I look forward to seeing some of you on the UK Divorcing a Difficult Spouse Workshop on Thursday. Check it out in the app if you haven't got a ticket yet. And in the War of Divorce, on the battlefield of family separation, always make peace your weapon of choice. <laughs>